Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, pretty excited for the series that we're starting this month. There's a number of different reasons that I'm excited about this. Uh, first of all, uh, there's going to be lots for us to learn about compassion, showing uh, Christ's love to other people, seeing people in need, and then acting on it. Secondly, um, because we're following along with FBC Kids Curriculum, we actually have the opportunity this month to see some of Joan Clark's amazing work and decorations. If you've never popped back into uh, Kids Kids Ministry, Kids Worship Center, whatever, see the sets that she has built, uh, she does a fantastic job, and we get a little taste of that this morning. And so, um, just again, if you see Joan, just express your appreciation for all the work that she does. Yeah, you can give her a hand if you want. That's that's totally totally great. And then the third thing is, it's just really cool to be able to partner up with FBC Kids and follow along with the curriculum uh, that they are doing. I had the opportunity of being in kids ministry for for approximately 20 years, and I love working with kids. It's so fun uh, just seeing their genuine faith, their excitement to learn, uh, the energy that they have. Uh, it's, It's a blast working with kids. But I think sometimes as grown-ups, we forget what a privilege it is to have such a thriving kids ministry. I know that sometimes we can even get into that, that thought of, hey, I'm sending my kids to be cared for, I'm sending them to be entertained so that we can have an adult service. And I think what we're going to see this month is, is they have a great and an entertaining program, a fun program, but we're also going to see that they have the opportunity to there to learn some really deep spiritual truths. And that Kelsey and her team, as they're serving their kids, they're not just providing childcare, they are teaching and planting seeds in the lives of these young hearts, the the truth of the gospel and and the way that Christ wants us to live. And so it's a privilege to have uh, a kids program and a thriving kids program. So if you see Kelsey and her team uh, this week, you know, anybody with those FBC kids volunteer shirts, you know, make sure you say thanks and make sure you, you know, pray for them and say, hey, you know, uh, these guys are really, really not just entertaining kids they're they're teaching them and planting truths of the gospel there so i think it's great uh so that we're teaming up with them that we get a peek into what they're doing and as kelsey mentioned parents um now you'll have you know some some things to talk about with your kids after the morning you can say hey we learned about this in church heard that you were talking about the same thing and those parent cues that kelsey mentioned uh, are a great resource to be able to connect uh with your kids after the service and so the theme of this month is, is on my block, and we are learning about caring for people in our neighborhood, and there's a life app that happens, um, or that, that is brought up each month in the Orange Curriculum. And the life app for this month is compassion, and compassion is caring enough to do something about someone else's need. Caring about enough to do something about someone else's need. Now, educators tell us that repetition is the key to learning, all right, or one of the keys to learning. So... As we would do in FBC Kids, we're going to do this morning. I want you to repeat this with me. So ready? Compassion is 
caring enough to do something about someone else's need. Let's do that one more time. Compassion is caring enough to do something about someone else's need. And so the key part of that definition is caring enough to do, right? We see needs around us all the time, but caring enough to do. I'll give you an example. This week where I had an opportunity to show compassion. Uh, Tuesday morning, uh, we were getting ready to go to work. Amanda tends to head out a little earlier than I do uh, for, her, for her work. And so I was downstairs, I was working out. It was probably, I think it was minus 26 that morning, plus the wind chill. And Amanda went down, she started the car to use that remote start, which I have really come to love out west. Uh, we, were, we were talking about when we first moved here last year, walking through parking lots and seeing all these cars running, and we're like, what a waste of gas, this is crazy, why would anybody do this? And man, I love it now, like I totally get it, you guys were not off the, off the rails, that's a really good thing. So Amanda got the car started and she looked outside and she said, oh, the windows are going to need scraped. And so I'm downstairs, I'm just, I'm working out, and I, I heard what she said, and I saw the need. I saw the need. The need was go outside in minus 26 and scrape the windows for her. That's compassion. I kept working out, you know. <laughs> I did. I just, I just kept working out, and when she left, I was like, wow, that was a real jerk move. Like, that was really bad. And so I apologized to her when she got home that evening. I, like, I had that opportunity to show compassion. I saw the need. I knew what I should have done, and I didn't do it. And I think so many times in our lives, when we have that opportunity to show compassion, we see it, we feel sympathy, we feel empathy, but then we stop short. And instead of doing something, we just, we feel bad, but we don't step up and fill the need. And so today we're going to be talking about compassion. And we're going to see uh, Jesus as he comes back to his hometown for the first time since he started his public ministry that he's going to lay out his mission statement before the people, that he's going to say to them, this is why I have come, and this is who I am. And we're going to see through that uh, what we can learn about showing compassion to those people on our block. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into our message this morning. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that we have to, to learn from you, uh, Lord, to learn about you, and then to see how we are to respond because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that you would just help us uh, today to be more compassionate to the people around us so that they will come to know you as personal Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. So have your Bibles or your phones with you this morning. You can open to Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4. We're going to start around uh, verse 16. And again, uh, I'll just read verses 16 and 17 for you. It says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And then we're going to see what, he, what was written in just a second, but we're just going to stop there. I want you to understand that this account took place in the spring of AD 29, according to, to some of the, most of the timelines that I was studying. Jesus had been away from his hometown for about, about a year and a half. And, and people probably had begun to hear, hear some things about what he had been up to, what he had been doing, and I'm sure it had been starting to cause a stir around Nazareth, like, wow, this is the guy that grew up in our, in our town. Is, what's he, is, he, is he off his rocker? Has he gone insane? Or was there something that we didn't realize about him? I'm sure that, that when Jesus was growing up in, in Nazareth, he probably stood out 
I mean, he was literally the perfect child. And so as a parent, if, if your child came home and said, man, Jesus did this and he was wrong and all that stuff, and then you went to confront Mary and Joseph about it, you would soon find out that your child was in the wrong and not Jesus. And I'm sure that was probably annoying at some times. I'm sure that caused some frustration, always knowing that Jesus was perfect. And yet, watching him grow up and you're thinking, well, this is, this is a, a unique individual, then you'd see him begin to work in his father's his shop as a carpenter. Maybe he built some furniture for you. You know, you just, you gotten to know him. But then in his late 20s, he just up and leaves. He just leaves Nazareth. And you're like, I wonder what Jesus is up to now. And maybe, and we can see from scripture that there had been some reports that, that had been flowing in about Jesus. So they had this idea of what was going on. But let's look at some of the background, some of the things that they would have been hearing. The first account that we see that they would have heard about is Jesus' baptism. Jesus meets up with John the Baptist at the Jordan River and he says to John, John, would you baptize me? And after some hesitation, John agrees and he baptized Jesus and then we see this in scripture in Mark. It says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now this is a baptism that certainly would have stood out. No time before in history, no time since has somebody been baptized and then the Holy Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove and God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so I am sure that if we were in today's world and somebody was posting, posting on social media and they had recorded this baptism and the events that happened, they would have probably included the hashtag craziest baptism ever. Like, what was going on there? And then reports of this event probably got back to Jesus' hometown. And we see later on in Scripture that Jesus went and he was tempted by the devil right after uh, this, this baptism. He went uh, to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm not really sure how public that was. I'm not sure if that got back to that town or not. We see it in the Gospels, but I'm not sure if that was something that was well, widely known at that time. But after he gets back from the wilderness, he begins to gather a following. He's teaching. A number of people are following after him. And then, and then he and his disciples, his family, are actually at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus does his first miracle. The wine had run out at the wedding, and uh, Jesus takes a bunch of water and actually turns it into wine. And I am sure that if somebody from Jesus' hometown was there, somebody that, that, that he had grown up with, if he had a posted on or if they had a posted on social media at that time, they might have used the hashtag, where was that at our parties? You know, this water to wine thing. Why didn't you break that out a little earlier, you know? Maybe that was the hashtag they would have used there. Another report would have been Jesus' visit uh, to the temple just before the Passover. And I'm sure that there was many people from Nazareth in Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus enters into uh, the temple and he sees this abuse and this extortion going on of, of selling sacrifices for, uh, for exorbitant prices. People taking advantage of these people that had to uh, offer sacrifices and, and they charged them just crazy prices for them. And they were extorting people to worship God. And Jesus takes a, cord, a whip of cords and he flips over the tables, he drives the animals out of there, he kicks the, the, the sellers out of the temple and he just talks about the fact of his, his father's place being a place of worship. And I'm sure that report was just hashtag, oh no, he didn't. You know, to think of at the Passover just causing a ruckus in the temple would have been just uh, totally against those social norms. 
And then finally, the last one that we're going to look at is we see that uh, they would have heard about Jesus healing the nobleman's son. And this is an interesting one because uh, this man comes to Jesus, and Jesus was actually in Cana, and then the boy was in Capernaum. And that was about a distance between those two villages or two towns, about 26 kilometers. This father, this boy comes to Jesus, and he's like, he's like Jesus, would you, would you please heal my son? Would you come with me and heal my son? But Jesus' response to him in John chapter uh, 4, it says this, go, your son will live. That was Jesus' instruction to him. He didn't, didn't go back to Capernaum to, to, to heal this boy. He just said, go, your son's going to live. The man begins that journey home, and the next day, halfway home, he meets his servant, and his servant says, hey, your son's well. And he says, what time was that? When did he get better? And he told when it was, and it was the time that Jesus had said to him, go, your son would be made well. And again, that hashtag might have been something along the lines of not even in the same town. So there's reports have been coming to Nazareth. These reports have been coming about this boy that they had watched grown up to become a young man in their town that had stood out as, as being unique and as being different. And now they're hearing all of these things about him. And then Jesus returns home. And when he returns home, he's, he's invited, he's given uh, the, the privilege to speak in his home synagogue. In Luke 4, 16, again, uh, just says, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his cousin, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And so again, this wasn't just something that Jesus, a privilege that Jesus took on to himself, like, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm gonna walk into the synagogue and I'm gonna read and teach. He would have had to have been invited by the, by the ruler of the synagogue, the, the elder of the synagogue at that point. And he would have been invited to have the privilege to read God's word. And normally they would read something from the law and something from the prophets. And then they would sit down and, and teach on what, they had just, on what they had just read. And so Jesus does this and he, he, he gets that privilege of, of speaking. And he uses this opportunity to identify to the people of his town who he was and what his mission was. We're going to see what his mission was. We're going to see that laid out. We're going to see what um, passage that he read. But we have to understand that the people were probably anticipating some explanation. Like, you've been gone for a while. We're hearing some things about you. What are you all about? And so Jesus says, hey, I'll tell you what I'm all about, and I'll tell you who I am. Luke 4, 18 through 19 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He read that passage of scripture from Isaiah, and then he hands the scroll back to the attendant, and then he takes his seat to begin to teach. And here we're going to see that Jesus laid out that mission statement. I want to look at that mission statement with you for just a few minutes this morning. And Jesus, the first thing that he said is, hey, I've came, I have come to preach the good news to the poor. To preach the good news to the poor. And Jesus, while he was on earth, made, uh, made preaching about the, the good news of the kingdom of God his priority. Let's take a look at a few verses. Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Soon afterwards, he went on throughout the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. You have to understand that, that Jesus' mission, he said, my mission is to come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. That's why he was here. That's why he came. He said, I want to tell you about this. And of course, we know that not only did he come to preach it, he came to provide it by dying on the cross for our sins and taking the penalty that we deserve. You see, I really like reading about Jesus' miracles. I love listening to the fact that, that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he calmed the storm with just a word, that he walked on water and allowed one of his followers to walk on water, again, raising the dead, feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. You know, I love reading about those stories. But those stories were never the point. Those miracles were never the point. Jesus didn't come and hope that everybody got to see his miracles, that they understood that he was supernatural. Jesus had a greater mission. The miracles were a means of confirming that mission. The miracles were a means of confirming that message. And you can see that in John 14, 11. It says to his disciples, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, Jesus is saying, look, you know, you need to believe that I am God. And if you have trouble believing that, look to the miracles. Look to the miracles. My message is that I am God. I've come to provide a way of salvation. And if you need some proof, the proof is these miracles show that I am who I claim to be. John 20, uh, at the end of John's gospel, he says this. Now, many, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, his, have life in his name. So the miracles, they're amazing, they're supernatural, they're, they're pretty, pretty awesome to read about, but they're not the point. The point is there's the good news of the kingdom of God. The point is there's a message of salvation that is ready for people to hear. Jesus demonstrated his compassion for those around him. He demonstrated that by seeing their need, by seeing that the world was lost in sin, and he decided, even before the world was created, to do something about that. To come and to give his life as a sacrifice for sin so that people could enter into the kingdom that he was proclaiming to them and teaching to them. And it's interesting to note that Jesus points out that the good news would be preached to the poor. We need to understand that this isn't a reference to people's financial status. Financial status didn't matter to Jesus. He preached the gospel uh, to uh, Zacchaeus, who was an extremely wealthy tax collector. And then we also see that he goes to the tombs in, in the country of the uh, Gadarenes, and he delivers a man who is living among the tombs and was demon-possessed. Financial status doesn't matter to Jesus. So he's not saying, I've, I've come to reach a, a social class, an economic class, and it's the poor. When he says he's talking about that, he's talking about people who are, spore, or who, are, who are poor spiritually. You see, what we have to understand is that each and every one of us, when we're born into this world, is spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing on our account that earns us favor with God. In fact, all that we have is a record of debt that stands against us. That record of debt deserves punishment. That record of debt deserves condemnation, that we should be eternally separated from God. And, and Paul teaches us that in, in Colossians chapter 2. It says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him 
having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I have a little uh, illustration that we're going to do this morning to help us maybe understand that just a little bit better. I have a couple of volunteers who are going to come join me up on stage, which would be great. I like how everybody kind of giggles when they see these two coming up. We know... Yeah, Kim, I'll get you to stand right here. Darren right in front of the piano, I guess. Darren, this is no reference on your character, but I'm going to get you to hold the sin sign. All right. Kim, this is definitely no recommendation on your character. You're going to hold the the righteous sign, all right? And so we need to understand in this verse, Scripture talks about the fact that there is a record of debt that stands against us. That as, as individuals, we're born into this world with the weight of sin, with the debt of sin. And, and because of what Adam and Eve did, death has passed to all of us, sin has passed to all of us. So we're, we're born with that debt against us. But then throughout our lives, we, we sort of maybe enhance that debt a little bit uh, with, with sin. And so we, we are jealous of somebody else achieving something or somebody else's possessions. We're in a situation where maybe we could be uh, in trouble unless we word things a little differently, and so we choose, we choose to lie. And we choose to say, nah, you know, we just fudge the truth a little bit. Maybe we're in need or, you know, we just, just see something that we'd really like, and it's not that big of a deal, and nobody's going to watch us, so we just you know, grab that candy bar from the convenience store or steal time at work from our bosses or fudge on our taxes a little bit or whatever. And so we steal. You know, sometimes we, we look at the opposite sex and we think, well, you know what? They look pretty good. Um, and we let lust reign in our hearts. And we could go on and on and on and on um, about the, the things that we add to this record of debt. And the Bible says that that stands against us. We're in spiritual poverty. There's no way that we can do anything about this debt. In fact, all we do is just compound that debt all the time. We just add to it, continually add to it. But God, in his compassion for us, in his love for us, had a plan. He said, I got a plan for that record of debt. And there's nothing that they can do about it. They they owe such a great debt, there's, there's no way that they could ever earn their way out of it but I love them, and I want to show compassion to them. So I'm going to send my son into this world. I'm going to send my son into this world, and he is going to take their punishment on the cross. And when I ask Jesus to be my Savior, when I come to him in faith, the Bible tells me this amazing transaction takes place. The record of debt that stands against me, this record of sin for my entire life, past, present, future, God knows it all. He knows every sin that you have and will commit. He says, when you come to me in faith, I'm going to take that record from you. And in 2 Corinthians, we see uh, that the Bible tells us that, that, that God made Jesus to become sin for us. And he does this amazing thing where he takes your record of debt 
He takes your record of sin and he places that on Jesus. And all the punishment that you deserve, all the condemnation that you deserve, all of the things that you deserve to be punished of because of your sin, God doesn't see them on you. He sees them on his son. And on the cross, he punished his son on your behalf. And interesting, here we have a clean slate, but he's still broke. He has nothing to offer. But the cool thing about that verse in 2 Corinthians is that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And what God does in that transaction when we're saved, I'm going to take that back one from you, is he not only puts the record of our sinfulness on Christ, he puts Christ's record of righteousness on our account. And so now, we are no longer spiritually impoverished. We are no longer spiritually poor. We are rich because the righteousness of Christ is on our account. That when God sees us, he doesn't see this. He doesn't see those things that we have done wrong, the things that bind us in shame. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And he makes us spiritually rich, welcomes us into his family. And instead of being poor, we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Thanks, guys. I'll take those from you. And so we see that Christ saw us in our need, and he responded to that need. He was compassionate. He saw us that we were poor, he says, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to contribute to their cause, so to speak, and make it so that we can be one with Christ in a relationship with him and, and truly rich in him. That's the first thing. That was the first part of Jesus' mission statement. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And then the second part is that Jesus comes to proclaim liberty to two different types, uh, two different uh, groups of people. In Luke 4, 4, verses 18, he says this, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Captives here is a word that means people who are taken by the spear. They have been conquered. Those who have not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ are captives to sin. Jesus affirms that reality in John chapter 8 when he says, truly, truly, just as John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now that word practices, it means to busy ourselves with sin. And I'm not saying that if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, that all you do is look for opportunities to sin and to harm other people. That's not the message at all. But I want us to understand that sin keeps us captive by keeping us busy and keeps us from focusing on the things that God has for us, the deliverance that he has for us. Our, our pursuit of possessions, achievement, leisure, social acceptance, they keep us busy. They offer a sense of fulfillment that is short-term, and, and we keep pursuing that so we have that fulfillment. When Jesus says, you know what, I've got something much better for you. I have something much better for you. I have a freedom that I, that I can offer you. Again, our possessions, uh, leisure, social activities, are they wrong in and of themselves? Absolutely not. But when they distract us from either deepening our relationship with God or even, even uh, distract us from turning our attention to him so that we could enter into a relationship with him, 
That's when they become wrong. And, and God, or Jesus is saying here, I've come to set people free who are held captive by sin. John chapter eight says this, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And then there's another way that we can be held captive as well. So he said, I've come set at liberty to those who are, who are uh, captive, but also, he says, to those who are oppressed. That's later on in, in the verse, but I forgot to give that slide to Cedric, so uh, you can see it in your, your own copy of the Scripture. But he's come to, to set free those who are oppressed, and that word really means shattered, broken into many pieces, or, or bruised severely. And what we have to understand is that this world, living in a world of sin, breaks people. And I'm sure in your life there have been times when you have gotten that, that diagnosis for yourself or somebody else. And you're like, how are we going to carry through this? How are we going to survive? I'm sure there's been times when somebody has passed away or a crisis has come up in your family and you're just like, what are we going to do? And, and, and Jesus is saying here, I have come to set you free. What does that freedom mean? Does that freedom mean when I place my faith and trust in Christ, everything goes away, all of my problems go away, that, that, I, that there won't be any betrayal, there won't be any sickness, there won't be any death? Is that what that means? No, it doesn't mean that. But Jesus says, I've come to set you free from the breaking that that brings. And I've come to set you free to see that those sufferings are even another opportunity to show people God's goodness, my goodness. He says, I want people to see that in you even as you suffer. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Jesus gives us the ability to endure the difficulties that we face in this life. And he gives us the ability to point people to him as we face those difficulties. I have seen fellow brothers and sisters in Christ suffer and I've watched them with, with awe as God has come alongside of them and he's comforted them and he's strengthened them to be able to handle the things that they are facing. And I know that I have been encouraged by that. And I know other people have been encouraged by that and drawn to the goodness of God in the middle of crisis. And Jesus said, I've come to set free those who are oppressed. I've come to, to give help, a, a constant help. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit. He walks through every trial with us. And then we also have the assurance, the knowledge of, of knowing that when we get to eternity, none of this world's suffering will ever touch us. That we will be free from sickness, sin, death, pain. And we have that hope. And that's the freedom that Christ brings to the oppressed. A couple other things that he, he wants us to know. He says that he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. And again here, Jesus isn't just referring to physical blindness. Of course, when he was on earth, he did heal people from their blindness. He gave sight to the blind. But there's a deeper message here. He says, I want to bring sight to those who are spiritually blind. Again, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. It's our job 
It's Christ's mission statement to bring the light of the gospel to people. They are, if they are not believers in Jesus Christ, wandering around in spiritual darkness, really trying to make sense, trying to fulfill that void that sin has, they're trying to fill the void that sin has left in their lives. And they're stumbling around in the darkness trying to find what will satisfy. And Jesus says, I've come to give that light, to sight to the blindness so that they can see what is truly satisfying. And then he says this, at the end of that passage in Isaiah, he says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Luke 4.19. This is Jesus' way of saying, you know what? I have come to bring the message of salvation. I have come to provide the message of salvation. And as he was in that synagogue that day, he finishes reading, he rolls the scroll up, gives it back to the attendant, and then sits down. And he says to the people, this passage that you've just heard, this passage that we've just read in Luke 4.21, he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm sure this shook things up a little bit in the synagogue as they realized that Jesus is claiming that this prophetic passage was about him. He's saying, I am the Messiah. Not only am I going to preach it, not only am I going to free the captives, not only am I going to free the oppressed, not only am I going to give sight to the blind, uh, not only is that my mission to do, but I am, going to, I am the one who is going to provide the means for that to happen. And just to clarify it a little bit more, John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Amen. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment. I am the one who provides this. And I find it very interesting that Jesus uses a number of word pictures there to help us understand the desperate situation the people in our block are in, in our lives are in, if they don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. He uses the, the word poor, which is like really just absolute poverty. He uses the words oppressed. He uses the word captive. He uses the word blind. Why does he do that? He, he does that so that we can understand that, that this is the biggest need that people have. The gospel is the biggest need that people have. And the most compassionate thing that we can do for people on our block is share the gospel with them. Yes, we need to show compassion to their physical and their emotional and their mental needs. Absolutely, we're gonna see that Jesus did that throughout his ministry. But the most compassionate thing that we can do is share the gospel. Because without the gospel, Kenton said this morning, eternity is a really long time. We might come along somebody and help with a short-term need, but we have to understand that in doing that, as we come alongside to, to help with that short-term need, our purpose needs to be to help them understand their long-term need. Because if we saw, and I think that's why Jesus used these words, if we saw somebody in abject poverty, if we saw somebody who was being oppressed or held captive, if we saw somebody stumbling down the street who was blind, we would say, they really need my help. And we would do something, hopefully we would do something about that. And so Jesus said, I want you to understand how bad off people are who don't know Christ. I want you to understand that because the most compassionate thing you can do is to share the gospel with them. 
Amanda shared a quote from her devotions with me this week. It says this, sharing our faith was never supposed to be this burden that we do out of fear or obligation. Instead, Jesus wants us to share out of our love for him and our compassion for others. And so today, I just want to challenge you. And as Jesus challenged you, Jesus said, this is my mission statement, and as representatives of Jesus, needs to be our mission statement. Our priority, our passion, the things that drives us should be a compassion for those around us that don't know Jesus Christ. And our mission needs to be to bring the gospel to them so that they can step from spiritual poverty into spiritual richness, so they can step from oppression to freedom, so they can step from blindness to sight and enjoy knowing Christ in this life and having the assurance of hope and eternity in the life to come. And today, if you're here this morning and you recognize that you are not yet part of the family of God, you recognize that, hey, I am in spiritual poverty. The Bible says this very simply, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you recognize your need this morning, you say to God, God, I I need you. I need that transaction to happen in my life. I need the record of sin to be taken from my account to be placed on Christ's account. And I need the righteousness of Christ to be taken from Christ's account. Yeah, our sin on Christ's account and his righteousness on my account. I think I might have messed that one up. And just call out to him and say, I need you. I need that righteousness. The Bible says you will be saved, delivered from your sin, entering into eternal relationship with God. So today, as we close our service, I'm gonna ask our, our servers to come. It's a communion Sunday. Uh, and communion is, is a, a celebration, uh, the Lord's Supper, that we, we do on the first Sunday of every month here at FPC. It's, it was instituted by Jesus Christ uh, the night before uh, that he was taken, uh, arrested and put to death. And Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he, he gives us a description of Jesus sort of instituting that for us. And Cedric, I'll get you to bring that up. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is an opportunity to really, to make a statement publicly. I have stepped from darkness to light. I've stepped from spiritual poverty to spiritual wealth, not because of something that I have done, but because of what Christ has done in me. It's a time for us to reflect and to ask God to really examine us and to say, is there anything, God, that is not reflecting your character in me at this point? and to confess that. It's a time to evaluate our relationship with others because that's an important part of being a Christian is our identifying mark, is our love for others. Are my relationships with other people right? Is there anybody that I need to offer uh, an apology to or to reconcile with? And it's an opportunity for us to look to the future and say, man, Jesus promised that, that we are going to celebrate this with him in heaven and to remember what he has done and to enjoy his fellowship forever. So I'd encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, uh, to, to take uh, the communion, the, the, the wafer and the, and, the, and, the, and the juice, and to remember and to reflect on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for sending your son Jesus into this world. Thank you for his mission to preach the gospel and to provide the gospel for us, dear God. 
Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for his broken body. Thank you for the hope that he gives us when we believe in him. Father, for those that don't know you, I just want to pray that today they would call out to you, that they would personalize that transaction in their own lives, that they would receive the amazing gift that you have to offer them. And Father, I just want to pray that you would help us in our compassion to recognize the desperate need of those around us and to be willing to step in and to show them the way that they can be saved. I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. I hope that you have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.